Will you please open your Bibles to Malachi, that almost New Testament book, Malachi, and that would be uh, in chapter 2, and that's page 801 in your church Bibles. Well, I haven't seen any new faces since, so there's uh, no need for me to reintroduce myself. Malachi 2, 1 to 9. And I'll read. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart, to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cast them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. And now, fathers, we come to you in your word. We ask that you speak you speak Lord and plant your truth deep in us help us to receive your holy word and to act on it in Jesus name we pray Amen well the year was 1983 and Avianca Flight 011 crashed in Spain. It flew straight into a mountain and upon searching the crash site, the investigators recovered the black box and made a shocking recovery. They made a shocking discovery like all black boxes. This one contained in it a voice recorder which revealed several minutes before the fatal impact. 
So the first thing the investigators had was sort of a, a, a shrill computer synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system. And it told the crew, pull up, pull up, pull up. And then astoundingly, the captain said, shut up, gringo. Switch the system off and in a matter of minutes, the plane smashed into the side of the mountain and everybody was instantly killed. Well, it seems to me that we have a, a natural tendency to ignore warnings. We had a warning this morning and we have another warning this evening. But humanly speaking, we do have a tendency to ignore warnings, don't we? It's reflective of our fallen nature. Often warnings are unwelcome and, and, and are thought to be unnecessary. And if we were to sum up this passage in one word, it will be this warning, because that's what it is. In four words, warning, pay close attention. Verse 1 says it all. It's, it's, it's a warning from God to his, to his people. It is necessary. It's intended for God's glory. And for our benefit, and it's one to which we must respond if we would enjoy God himself and his blessings. So what's happening here? Well, following Israel's return from exile, the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem. However, it's been neglected. The priesthood is corrupt. The worship is stale. And the nation as a whole is in a, a backslidden state, as it were. So the prophet Malachi singles out the priests purposefully for condemnation. Why? Because they were the spiritual leaders. They knew what God required, but they, they turned a blind eye to it. They accepted and promoted unworthy sacrifices. They were lazy they were arrogant. They were insensitive. Their service was insincere. So three pointers to help us follow. The problem, the pattern, and the penalty. That's to say, the problem identified or diagnosed, the pattern recalled, and the penalty pronounced and God is behind all these three P's he diagnoses the problem he recalls the pattern and he pronounces the penalty the judgment so the problem diagnosed as we see in the first part of verse 2 verse 8 and the second part of verse 9 the heart of the matter is this the priests dishonored God's name. In what way? In two ways. The passage before this chapter, which is in chapter 1, in 6 to 14, they accepted and promoted blemished 
sacrifices, unacceptable sacrifices. And in this passage from verse 1 to 9 as we read, they willfully neglected their responsibility to teach God's word faithfully and to apply it impartially. In that they, uh, they allowed influential people they favoured influential people, as it were, to break the law. These people were, of course, influential and rich. And so the priests were dependent on them for support, so they could not afford to confront them when they did wrong. Which led to God's people as a whole being led astray. You see, the primary duty of the Old Testament priest was to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of God's people and to teach God's people his law, the law of God. But lest we think that this is limited to the Old Testament priests or even converting it to the New Testament, which will be the equivalent of uh, church leadership. Lest we think it's limited to that. I'll take you back to our first reading in 1 Peter 2. Where he reminds us that as spiritual stones or spiritual bricks, we are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So like the priests in, in Malachi's day, it's expected of us to honor God's name. We see Jesus teaching this model prayer to his disciples. He teaches them how to pray on top of the priority order is what? Hallowed be your name. There is something about names, you see. No one likes to have their name forgotten. No one likes to have their name misspelled or even mispronounced. Because our names are part of our identity and our individual worth. We value having a good name, a good reputation. And so in a similar way, God's name speaks of his identity, of his character, of his works, his actions. As creator and sustainer of the universe, who alone reaches out down, all the way down to this earth, to sinful humans with perfect love. Jeremiah says that to dishonor God's name is to depart from him. And so once again we come to a juncture, a point of spiritual reflection. A spiritual MOT as it were, a spiritual health check. And we pose these questions and I wonder what your response will be. 
In what way am I dishonoring God? Or in what way are you dishonoring God? Because all manner of disobedience, all manner of sin brings shame to God's name. How do you relate with others at home, at school, at work, here at church and outside? How do you honor God in your giving towards the work of advancing his kingdom? Are God's priorities your priorities? Have you made it a priority to set aside time frequently to engage with God in his word? To study and meditate on his words, to hear his voice, to enjoy fellowship with him. As a church, do you pray or do you take seriously the word of God to be at the center of your worship and service to God, to one another and to those outside? I wonder what your answer would be. Perhaps you do. But let's not forget that complacency. The beast of complacency is always lurking around the corner. And we need to be constantly reminded of this truth so that we may grow and remain firmly established in them, don't we? Which leads us to our second point. A problem diagnosed which is dishonoring God in all those various ways. And now the pattern recalled from verse 5 to 7. Here God draws the attention of the priests to the pattern he set out for them initially. He does so by laying before them a comparison of their lives to those of an earlier generation of priests, those that have gone before them. And we see in verse 5 that their attitude was one of reverence. They had a healthy fear of God. They had a, a holy seriousness and deep respect towards the things of God. They took great care in how they behaved. They were always conscious that their lives were under the watchful eye of God. In verse 6, it speaks of their teaching. They were careful to be faithful messengers of God. They were diligent in their responsibility to preserve and pass on what God had told them in the past. They were not full of their own ideas. They were not the uh, name it and claim it type. They didn't show favoritism to the rich. Or any other category. They were impartial, faithful servants of God. In their behavior, they walked with God in peace and uprightness, integrity. They turned, as a result, turned many from sin. 
They lived in close fellowship with God. They were in full harmony with His will. And the integrity of their lives spoke volumes about the God that they served. This is the Levi of old. And so one vital question emerges from all these considerations. What is the great work of Christian leadership? The answer is those last five words in verse 6. Again, I would remind you that this is not limited to the New Testament church leadership. But it goes to the New Testament priesthood, which is you and I. It's for everyone because we are leaders in different capacities. We have, as leaders in those capacities, a priestly duty or priestly duties, as it were. One of those duties is to teach God's word to ourselves. Joshua says, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. As we read from 1 Peter, like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I wonder whether you ever preach to yourself whether you ever have such a, a spiritual monologue. I mean, you literally take God's word and preach it to yourself. Whether you're addressing a, a particular situation or you're encouraging yourself in the Lord, or it's one of those moments when you're simply enjoying close fellowship with God. Preach to yourself. As priests, we have a duty to teach God's word to our children. Moses reminds us in Deuteronomy 6 that these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. There's an imp- there's, uh, I'll put it this way. It is important for us to understand the world in which we're living. It's important for us to gauge the temperature of the world. Things are not getting better. And by that I, know, I don't mean financially. I mean morally. Even spiritually. If by the grace of God... We do not determine to teach our children the gracious law of God, the law of Christ. Somebody else out there is teaching them otherwise. And what they take in and process is most likely going to be retained for the most part of their lives. But unless we engage with them, they come up with a thesis which, of course, they would have picked up from out there, most likely at school, where they're being indoctrinated. Is it possible that we are naive to what's going on, what's being taught in the schools today? Simply drop us 
kids off, thinking everything is a-okay, pick them up, and that's it. But what are they being told? They're good things they're being told, of course. But they're bad things as well, which, which have the potential to drastically alter their lives. As parents and as guardians, we have a godly responsibility, a priestly duty to teach our children. I find that challenging too with all the daily pressures of life. But I'm reminded and I'm provoked by the word of God. To act out my duty. And so are you. Because we are all they have. We have their best interests. And we ought to remember that they are a gift from God to us. God actually owns them and we are parents, yes, but stewards, ultimately. And stewards are to be found faithful. So teach God's word to your children. How does that play out practically? I mean, think of family fellowship, home fellowship. Sit them down. Personally, one of my favorite subjects is religious education, going back when I was a child. And I, would, I really love to discuss these stories. And I'm, I'm the first one to put my hands up. And I'm not always faithful to this, but this is the ideal. This is what we all striving towards. This is the challenge that Malachi is posing to us as New Testament priests. By doing so, it's a way of honoring God. Because when we neglect our young ones and they turn out like Eli's children, it's a dishonor to God, isn't it? Without belaboring, belaboring the pointer. As a church, we have a priestly duty to pray for and support our leadership. That God would stay his hand of grace on them. That they would be wise to see the dangers present and future. And remain faithful to his word, proclaiming the gospel, shepherding you, and proclaiming the gospel to those outside, and raising up others from among you who will follow in the same vein, that God's people may be strengthened, and that lost souls may be added to the kingdom of God. That's how the mats work in God's kingdom, mats how multiplicity plays out. But it starts with priestly duties such as this for each and every one of us. We have a priestly duty to live holy lives, lives that are consistent with the gospel, lives that are a byproduct of sound teaching that the world has nothing to say against us when we share the gospel at every 
opportunity. The list goes on to mention but a few. But a carrying out of these duties, a stirring of the heart to motivate us to do this because we have God's grace abundantly available and the help of the Holy Spirit. I know we all fall short in these things, don't we? We, we? we need the help, as I said before, of the Holy Spirit. And help is available, but there must be a willingness. It starts with us, doesn't it? A willingness to change on our part or else the consequences are dire. Because to continue in this problem which God has identified, dishonoring him, making a practice of to neglect the pattern which we've seen him lay out is to incur God's judgment. As we shall see in our last point. The penalty pronounced, verse 2 to 3 and the first part of 9, verse 9. So we read these words, if you do not listen, if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the, old, the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you. I will cast your blessings. Yes, I've already cast them because you have not resolved to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from the festival sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people. You see, failure to heed God's warning would result in a shocking reversal for the priests. Their blessings would themselves become a curse. He's literally saying, I am going to make what is sweet bitter. He's going to take the very blessings and turn them into a curse. Because they did not obey God. There was no reason for them to receive blessing from him. And their sin would impact future generations. So since they didn't live lives which reflected the truth, there was no reason for the people to hold them in high esteem. This is a humiliation he's talking about. And God describes this humiliation in graphic terms. That they would be shamed and disgraced as clearly as if God had smeared animal waste on their faces. They would be discarded as surely as animal filth was removed from the carcass prior to the sacrifice. This is gross stuff, isn't it? But the point here is that it would render the priests unclean and therefore unfit to perform their duties, unfit to serve, disqualified. Imagine being degraded from serving in the sanctuary to the dung heap. Why? Because God will not allow his covenant to fail. 
as we see time and again in the covenants, it's, it takes two parties, doesn't it? An agreement between two parties. God is perfect and we are not. And we always break our part of the covenant. And it says, you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. But even when we fail, friends, God remains faithful. Nothing, nothing can thwart or frustrate God's purposes. You see, one of the things we see in the Old Testament is the continual failure of the officers in Israel. In this case, the priests leading the people astray in their teaching, leading the people astray in their lifestyle, leading the people astray in their acceptance of blemished sacrifices, or whether it were the kings leading people into idolatry. And at this point, mark you, Malachi, as I like to call it, the almost New Testament book. This is the last book of the Old Testament. So at this point, you can't help but wonder how much longer can there be bad priest after bad priest after bad priest. That's not to say that there were never any good priests. But a page farther or two in this very short book, we see that not much longer. We see two messengers. One good, John the Baptist, and one perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we get to the New Testament, we are told that Jesus is our great high priest. Levi, Aaron, and those who followed in their footsteps were not Perfect priests. Even among the good ones, we are told that there would be a better priest, a perfect priest, an eternal priest. And in the Gospels, we see him teaching God's word faithfully. We touched on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. We see him teaching it faithfully and without any Partiality. He shows no favoritism to the rich, to the poor, or to the needy. He didn't just teach the message of God. He is the very message of God. And he lived a perfect sinless life and died a sacrificial death for a bunch of bad priests such as you and I. I like what it says in Hebrews 13, 12. It describes what we read in verse 3. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. On that cross he was outside the city gate. He was cast. He was treated as one who was splattered and smeared with dung. So that you and I would be qualified to serve and honor him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not as Levites, but as a kingdom of priests 
who hold fast to the word of God and proclaim it to a lost world. I pray that God gives us a heart, an aching to reach out for the lost. Because it's not a good sign when we're indifferent to the lost, indifferent to evangelism. It's not a healthy sign, is it? So he says, listen. Listen to my warning. Listen to my promises and everything else I have set forth in my word. Review your present conduct and resolve to honor my name, he says. There's forgiveness and freedom from guilt to the one who repents. So how will you respond to this? Will you do like they do in the military and about turn and forward march away from the direction of death and destruction to Christ? Or will you say, like the captain of that fatal crash, shut up, gringo? And crash into the mountain of eternal destruction. Well, once again, let's take a moment to examine ourselves and ask the Lord to expose those problem areas in our lives which bring dishonor to his name and that he may be gracious to us and grant us repentance. Let's take a moment.